Welcome to the latest Spotlight on IRT podcast, where our experts talk about best practices in the field of clinical development and innovations to improve today's clinical trials. This podcast is brought to you by Almac Clinical Technologies, the leader in interactive response technology. For more information, visit www.almacgroup.com. And now, here's your host, Matt Lowry. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Spotlight on IRT podcast. I'm Matt Lowry, and today I want to discuss something that every organization in our industry has to do, training. I've heard it called everything from a necessary evil to the greatest asset we have to ensuring compliance. Either way, I'm willing to bet most, if not all of you, have heard what I like to call the training groan. It's the noise you hear come across the office when someone finds out that they have a two-plus-hour mandatory training. I'll be honest, it's a complaint I have too, especially if I have to walk away from an already packed day to attend a training that is only tangently applicable to me. And we've all been there. Training that isn't overly valuable, feeling the phone buzz in our pocket as the emails continue to come in, thinking about the other items we all have to accomplish today, or the deadlines that are looming while we're sitting in and unrelated or training that just doesn't really apply to us. I bring this up because recently I managed an MRHRA inspection. A key item the inspector spent some of the time focusing on was how we provide training to the necessary staff. I provided the response to what we offer and the next questions were how many sponsors actually utilize it and who provides the site training. It was an interesting path and one that I want to explore today. Studies are becoming more and more complex and IRT systems are being used for more. 50% of companies have SOPs for IRT training, and it is something we are seeing come up in regulatory inspections more and more. I reached out to Helene Matthews, who has over 25 years experience providing training and organizational management, and Elisa Holzbarth, who has experience with both the client and CRO perspective clinical trials and IRT systems to discuss this very topic. Elisa has worked with companies to set up targeted and directed training for their IRT systems And today, we're going to discuss some of the best practices to safeguard your trial. Helene, Elisa, welcome. Who needs training when it comes to an IRT system? Sure. So as far as the individuals who really should be trained on an IRT system, uh, normally it would be anybody who would be using the system or training other individuals on how to use the system. It typically can be broken into two buckets. You've got normally the site bucket, which would include your investigator and your study coordinator. Those would be individuals um, who would be primarily using the system, so your study coordinator to do a lot of the different activities in the system, like screening subjects, randomizing them, and then the investigator and the um, potential for there to be an emergency code break needed, um, or sometimes they do need to do randomizations in the system as well. The other, that second bucket, would more be for sponsors, and that would a lot of times include your clinical trial leader, your drug supply manager, Sometimes the monitor can be bumped into that category, but the monitor would be one who normally might not be doing activities in the system, but would be working with the sites to make sure that they're able to do activities in the system. And just for clarification, this really comes down to any IRT system. We're not talking about a mega trial, or we're not talking about just for large pharma. Really, any IRT system needs to have that training component to it? Correct, yeah. Anyone that's using an IRT system regardless of whether it's a phase one, a phase two, three, four study, or regardless of what therapeutic area it's in, yes, anyone who's using the IRT system should be trained on the system. 
and that typically is because you want to make sure that the, um, the information that's being entered into the system is correct. So you want to make sure someone's not putting wrong information into the system. So if they don't know how to use it, they could potentially randomize more patients than they really have on site. And the integrity of the data is actually very important in an IRT system. Uh, there's a lot of regulatory focus on the data integrity. So it's important to make sure that the information that's entered into the system is correct and that it's exactly what happens at the site as well. You know, you talked about regs. When you start looking at that, how do you ensure then compliance to those regulations? We can say, oh, they were trained because we gave them a set of slides. We can say, oh, someone was trained because they read a document. How do you really ensure, though, that they are trained? Well, to understand how were they actually, if they were really trained, I guess there's two components that you look at for that. One is the documentation that's necessary to demonstrate that they were trained, where you want to be able to reference the content and that the person actually completed it. Or the second piece of it is some sort of a knowledge assessment to see did they actually learn something based on their training. If you look at those two pieces of it, you have to make sure that you have some method of documentation that's easy to retain and easy to access, and then also ensuring that your training itself, what, how are you measuring knowledge or skill learned, that the person actually can use the IRT appropriate to their role in that study. Are they accessing the right data? Are they putting the correct data in? That kind of thing. So, so those are the two pieces. And if you look at today's LMSs, those can be critical tools to use to be able to make sure that people were able to access it. And you can even put some form of testing in there. And there's, there's a variety of testing that you could do to ensure that training, that learning was acquired or skills were acquired. So when you have a decentralized grouping like we see with IRT users, you have sponsors that may be located in multiple offices. And Alisa talked a little bit about sites, mm -hmm. having those sites. And we all know the clinical trials are conducted across the globe. Is there a way to really ensure that everyone's getting that level? The level that is correct for their use of the system? Yes. And so talking about sort of an enterprise type solution for deploying training to all of these geographically dispersed sites, that sort of thing. And what you what I would really recommend at this point is that you're considering a fairly robust LMS. Uh, if we're talking about an IRT, we're generally talking about an application, an online tool that somebody needs to access their computer and put the information in online. And that kind of learning is best delivered by an online learning system, so using e-learning and things of that nature. So if you deploy e-learning via an LMS, you now have a manageable way to deploy what could be customized curriculum based on the role a person plays with e-learning that is content has been scrubbed, is specific, is referenceable, and that everybody gets the same level of learning based on their role, so you know it's also consistent. And with today's LMSs out there, you can also make sure there's you know e-signatures and things like that, so you have the audit trail for the e-learning that's necessary, and again, referenceable 
from central. So what it allows you to do is centrally manage and deploy a geographically dispersed training program that meets the needs of the different roles that we're talking to. I'm just going to say another benefit of an e-learning system too is that in the past, um, like a lot of times the training has been delivered at investigator meetings where you've got more just a canned presentation mm -hmm. and it's more just a slide that someone sees. Um, it doesn't actually so it shows someone how to use the system. With the e-learning system, you're able to have that information in the slide um, that's what you still wanted to have, but then you can also include some video clips. You can show someone walking through a screening transaction. So in addition to just being a high-level key point, okay, this is what I need to do in a screening tra transaction, then the next thing could be, okay, now let me watch the video and see exactly where they go, what they press, and what I need to, what I'll need to put into the system. So they can prepare in advance before they do a transaction in the system, uh, make sure that they've got all the data that they need, and then go into the system and perform whatever function it is that they need to do. Most organizations have an SOP around training, and if it's a, a client or a sponsor organization, they have a, an SOP around training on those electronic systems that they're using. Mm -hmm. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah, yeah, and a lot of times what I've seen in the past, especially at investigator meetings, is the way that they uh, make sure that they comply with that SOP is by, before a feed session, having you know the site coordinator, the investigator, whoever it is that's attending on behalf of the site, signing in that they've attended the session. It doesn't mean that that person has stayed for the entire session. It also doesn't mean that they've paid attention. I know sometimes I've seen investigators or study coordinators without knitting newspapers, but while you're up there presenting, they're probably not paying as much attention as they should be to what's being presented to them. With, whereas with the e-learning system, um, like it's blogging that they're going through each of the different slides, they're watching the video, and then at the end, there's a series, like Colleen had said before, there's a series of questions that they need to answer to make sure that they were um, paying attention. And then at the end, it logs that, you know, Harry Smith has completed the training on the 1st of August, for example. Yeah, to build on what Elisa was saying is, if somebody's learning how to use a system at one of these site meetings or the, the, the site meetings that, that we were just discussing, there's a period of time between the training and the person actually having to use the system. In addition, the content that you're doing, to, to Elisa's point, the content is very specific. It's click here, click here, click here, click here. And if you try to transition that knowledge from being in a large meeting where you're watching it, you know, perhaps as a PowerPoint, perhaps as a screenshot, that's you're going to have less retention. So even if a person can answer a series of questions after that site management meeting or that site installation meeting, then they can still forget. You can still have human error. It's not training that's easily retainable. But by deploying it with this e-learning, you have it right there on the screen where they're going to have to use the IRT itself. So they can do it, they can prove that they know it, and then they can repeat the video of the clicks and do it right on the IRT at that time. So it's a far more effective and efficient way to truly get somebody trained on how the IRT works. Yeah, and to um, add on to that too, Helene, that's a, a great point yeah. that you bring up there too, especially because you can assign someone to the e-learning training right before they're about to be approved to like, be able to start working on the protocol. So maybe a couple of weeks beforehand is when you want to assign all of the users or potential users at the site to complete the 
training in the system, so that they'll have enough time to complete it before they actually need to screen the first patient or randomize the first patient. But they're doing it, like you had said, it's, it's happening right before they're about to use the system. Mm -hmm. But then if they get to that screening transaction or whatever it is they're going to do and they, they can't remember, they're a little nervous, they've never used an IRT system before, and they want to go back, they've got that comfort where they can go back to the e-learning, watch the video again, and then go ahead and complete the, the transaction in the system. Or, you know, if they're working through it but they're not sure what they have to do, they can go back, watch the video, and then go back to the IRT, finish completing what they need to. And then also in the same token, if there's a change to staff, so halfway through the trial, you know, the study coordinator one has now left, and now there's a new, brand-new person that needs training. They don't need to provide them the, you know, have a special training for them or have the monitor come out to go through the training with them. They can go into the e-learning system, go through the training, show that they completed the training, that it's documented, um, and at the end there's a report that can be provided to a sponsor and, and it typically is provided that they can put into their trial master file and it documents you know, all of these individuals have been trained on the system on this date and it was prior to them their first use in the IRT system as well. Absolutely. So you get that added advantage of the e-learning is consistent and repeatable. And now you have the standard tool to Elise's point where you're rolling on new folks throughout the life of the clinical right, trial. Right, people, because people change over the life of the trial. Nobody, yeah. it, it's a fact of life. It's a fact of the clinical trial. You're going to have personnel changes. Mm -hmm. And from what I'm hearing, you're also basically demonstrating compliance to the regulations. Mm -hmm. You're demonstrating that folks right. are completely trained to use the system before doing it, which is in line with regulation. Yeah. Nobody wants to sit here and read regulation after regulation, <laughs> right? I don't even want to do that. The idea is, though, we can do that. We can have that with an LMS type of system. Yes. And part of the IRT being that it's used globally is it makes it very difficult to have everyone in one meeting in one little room unless you are really small two-person company that has one or two sites on your trial, which we all know isn't common at all. Right, right. So having that global LMS, and that does allow the decentralized deployment of standardized training with the reporting feature of your, your learning management system at that point becomes very, very important because it provides you with the ability of centralized oversight so you can see that, yes, my staff in China and Europe and the States are all trained. And you can see that, and you can tactically manage the situation as needed. Whereas, you know, in our traditional, you know, the traditional face-to-face, -face, everybody's in person, there's going to be a delay. You roll somebody on, you're going to have to stop. That person can't be functional until they've been trained, so then how are you going to get that person the training? And one of the things we hear a lot, groan, right? Ah, mm -hmm. oh, I got to go to training. Here yeah. it comes again. Is there a, a business benefit outside of compliance? Because you can harp on compliance all you want. Is there a business benefit then to having this type of, of model that's rolled out? Well, to me, the business benefit that you have is when you have in-person training, that is literally the most expensive training that you can deliver. It is not repeatable. From one session to another, you may or may not get the exact same level of training. If a trainer's having a good day or a bad day or, 
or misses or does something. It's not something. the Vegas standard of the <laughs> 7 o'clock show is the same as the 9 o'clock show? <laughs> it's just not that, yeah. And, and it could be different people, somebody who's more or less expert with the system and is more or less prepared to answer those questions. It is just a fact of the in-person training that it's not going to be consistent from time to time. So you get the standardization, but the other thing, the business benefit where you just want to talk about hard dollars is that you have to pay that trainer every single time they come to train. You're going to have to pay the travel expenses because you're saying that it's in person. You're going to have to offline every single person who has to be trained. They have to be offline, meaning you're during production hours. You don't usually hold training during non-work hours. So the person is offline for whatever period of time it is, and then you don't have that proximate proximity of using the system. So you've got a hit on productivity, you've got a hit on cost of trainer, you've got a hit on uh, cost of, of opportunity of everybody who's now sitting in training who could be doing something else. When you bring e-learning that can be done as needed by as many different people as is necessary in order to support your trial, that person can then take the training to what Elisa said earlier. They can be assigned that training two weeks ahead of time. And during that two-week time, they're going to be able to take the e-learning as fits with their productivity needs while they're at work. You're going to have an increase on productivity. You're going to save the time on the trainer. So e-learning is traditionally front-loaded. The, e, the, uh, the trainer or the e-learning designer has already put in that effort, has already been paid, and now you're getting money back on that time spent for that one person every single time people access the training online. So it's a more cost-effective in the long run because the durability of the training that you've just put together and deployed. So Everything Helene has said, I entirely agree with, and I think in addition to that, you're also saving the time of the individuals that you're um, looking to train as well. Because the, the e-learning system, uh, like we had talked about before, is a focused training. So the individuals, the investigator, for example, you can set it up so that they're only receiving the training that they need to, for the functions they need to perform. So for example, the randomization and the emergency code break. So when I mentioned before, the investigators, those investigator being individuals that would pull off the newspaper or their knitting, I think the reason why they were doing that is because they've already seen that presentation before, or it has to do with sometimes because it's things that don't apply to them. So the investigator pulling out the newspaper to, to read, he doesn't really need to know anything about training or screen failure as far as in the IRT system because it's not him that's performing, performing those functions in the system, it's the study coordinator. So now you're focusing the training so that the investigator is seeing just what they need to do in the system um, and not all the rest of it. And then in addition to that, the uh, e-learning system can be set up so that if somebody has completed that training within the past X amount of days, that they don't need to complete the training again. So let's say you've got a site that works on multiple trials and they completed their training today. Three months from now when the next study comes up, if it's set up so that they don't have to complete the training they've done within the past year, then that investigator only has to go in and complete any function that would be new to them. So if in one trial, let's say now they've got to do um, that the first study they had to do screening and randomization on, they would be trained on that, complete it, have their certificate that they could print off to document their training. In the next study, when they go to um, complete their training, it's because the functions they have in the system are screening, randomization, um, and code break, 
when because they've done that random code break already, now they just have to do the screening training and then they're done. So it's more efficient for the person who's doing the training, especially when sites right now they have a lot of um, the burden of carrying through the clinical trials and performing the and to, to Elisa's point, we can realize being able to deploy the e-learning in this very granular format. So Elisa was referencing, you go to this big meeting, you're sitting through stuff that's not even relevant, but the e-learning itself is designed in this very granular, modular format where you're, you're looking at each little bite, two to five minutes, very focused in its topic. And what that allows further is this mixing and matching of the exact modules a person needs based on their role. So to Elisa's point, that granular design of your e-learning is critical to realize all of these efficiencies that we're talking about because that's what allows you to mix and match for a person to get exactly what they need and then they have exactly what they need just in time. So it sounds like we can train them and they're good. We're going to be able to meet that compliance and it's done and on we go. Yes, so as long as there's the effective training that's in place, there should be less support requests to our support department because there's fewer issues with the data. So an individual who knows what's going on doesn't need to spend time in the live system, at least a live IRT, practicing screening a patient or practicing randomizing. So there would, you would expect that there would then be fewer errors, especially because they have that system that they can go back to, watch a video if they need to, to see exactly what they need to do, which also helps to improve the data integrity for studies. And, and right now, there definitely seems to be a large focus into the integrity of the data. I know there was a, a recently published white paper by George Toscano, where he looked at the FDA warning letters from 2005 to 2017, um, and there were 154 warning letters just with regards to data integrity deficiencies. So by having that effective training in place, we can help to cut down on those data integrity issues. And then to further build on to that, if you have folks that are on a trial that maybe is going more slowly, so they're using the system sporadically, and we talked about the need for having that granular uh, e-learning module, that means that if they haven't used it for six months... Right, like a pediatric uh, cancer study or a pediatric study, some of the more rare disease. That, yes, exactly. And they would be able to, they, they pull up the system and they just can't remember. They can quickly go back into the e-learning system and access the particular module that they needed to refresh. They can quickly go through that and then proceed with the study and getting the data into the system as needed. The repeatability, accessibility, yes, two, two of the key things. So you're getting compliance. And Elisa, from what I heard, because there's less support requests, there's less rework, which means you're going to pick up some, some business benefit there, too, and yes. not having to have those data modifications happening on all those changes and the questions around them and then all the filing of that paperwork. You're cutting down on the extra stuff that has to go in around a trial into that TMF. Is that pretty on par with Correct. what you're seeing? Yes, exactly. And in particular, too, um, at the end of the trial, when all the data reconciliation happens, you don't have to troll them through any of those the files or anything to figure out why there was a request to make a change in the system or, or why something is different between this one system, the IRT system, and the EDC system, for example. So it just, especially down the road at the end of the trial, that's when there may have been staff changeover, so someone might not remember. And yeah, there's normally the documented trail, but it takes a while 
control through that. So exactly like you said, like you don't have to go through that legwork and that extra headache in order to try to figure out exactly what it was that happened or why. If you can prevent that up front, that's the better way to do it. I know you have some experience with this. Could you maybe talk about the two of the use cases that you've seen and how this e-learning is implemented? What we've seen how clients have requested for their e-learning to be provided. There are some clients that have wanted to try to they wanted to use it to have the documentation at the end of the study so that they could have in their um, trial master files, they could show who completed the training and when. On their side, they were managing it to make sure that individuals weren't provided access to the IRT system before they completed that training so that they could show no one had been in the system before that time. For another client, we did where they would allow the individuals to gain access to the IRT system so that they could set up their accounts and um, if there were some minor things for them to be doing in the system, they could do that beforehand. But then they would allow, they would still have to complete the training in the, the e-learning system in order to make sure that it's documented that they had completed their training uh, for the trial master file in case they ever needed that information. But it was more of a laid-back approach, whereas the other one was kind of what you might term dating access, so that they couldn't use the IRT system at all until they completed their training. So let's talk about that gated access. What I'm hearing is we have a user we want to put on the IRT system, and until they do this, they're not getting access. Correct. And Correct. once that access is completed, there's an ability then to say, yes, they've completed that training. Here's a certificate. Here's an acknowledgement that that's been done. That can go into a trial master file, and then we the, that access can be granted to that individual. So really, that's really aligning you in very tight interpretation of the regulations and sealing that up to say, no, it's, it is well controlled. And then the other model is, well, we can go ahead and grant access, but we're going to make sure that they're trained and we're going to manage it on our own. Is that pretty well summation of what we're looking at? Yes, that's exactly right. For the, the second one, that was a little bit more looser, I guess, is an okay word to use there. They did have the investigator meeting, and they had the training there at the investigator meeting. So their site staff, you know, they had the documentation that could show that they had been trained on the IRT system. It just wasn't as detailed and as focused and had that additional support piece. So that was why they had chosen to do both, have the investigator meeting plus have the e-learning as an extra tool for them. And they weren't getting access to the IRT system because they could show that their staff had been trained at the investigator meeting. But they could also show that they had that supplementary tool so that if somebody needed the extra support, they could come back and get that additional help and support in order to make sure that they had quality data. That helps with the whole regulatory process in the end, too, because now you've been able to show everything's controlled, which is what the regulators love to see anyway. Right. When we talk about these e-learnings, talked it needs to be targeted, it needs to be granular, it needs to be properly timed. What's the length look like on that? What Do you aim for an hour? Do you aim for a half hour is the answer as long as it needs to be? So, yeah, that's an interesting way of as far as length. When you're talking about e-learning, you're talking about frequently the reference is seat time. How long is somebody going to be sitting there staring at a PC trying to learn? And we all get fatigued before, and once you get fatigued, you're not learning. But the key here is that we have a modular format. So we talked about very granular modules that are three to five minutes and then we package those that are exactly aligned with that person's 
role requirements within the, the system itself. So you've got a mapping there of this feature is this feature, and this feature is this feature, or this module equals this feature. So you have a very close mapping. And then you have a person who's not going to sit there for an hour at a time going through module after module after module. They might do it a half an hour at a time. They're putting it into their workflow in their daily work. If they sit there and they do a module, well, we're talking about three to five minutes. That means they probably hit six to ten features at one sitting. But they've gone through it, they've seen it, they've answered some questions, so you know that there's some level of knowledge acquisition. So we don't really look at a module is going to map to the user features that you get access to. I'm sorry, not the module, the curriculum of all of the different modules are going to map to all of the user features that you're going to get access to within the system. That does mean the time spent on the e-learning could vary, but remember it's very modular, so you get the one done, three to five minutes, oh, I'm done. Okay, now you might pause and do something else, come back and do three to five minutes, or you might do three or four modules at a time, but either way, works because of this granularity of each module. It allows the user to come in and go out as their, as their workflow allows them and as their appetite for taking in this information allows them because they, they can regulate their own ability to learn. They know when they're not learning anymore. So we can tell, so we can allow that to happen because it's so granular. Do you look to put interactions into those learnings? Have it so it's not just a sit there and have somebody talk at you, but different different boxes, questions, activities? Absolutely so. I like to think of that as the TV effect. Folks turn on the TV and it's going on and they may or may not be watching it, but within an e-learning you do want to have interactions. You're going to the next screen, that's the most basic, that you're, you're pushing forward the e-learning itself. And in addition to that, there can be questions, you can do, especially with like an application type, you can do a show and do. So, hey, this is what it looks like, now you try it. So there's a lot of different types of interactions that can be. At a minimum, with this three to five minute module that we're talking about, we want to end up with some questions that at least reference back to exactly what was covered. Yes, it's got to have some interactions because that cuts down on that TV effect. It makes sure that the learner is engaged with the content, and then at the least, at the very end, that you do have some form of question Q&A where the learner has to respond, and that also is engaging and is a learning event in and of itself. And what about e-signature components? Do we want to look to have in an e-learning system then the ability for the user to sign and provide that attestation that, yes, I completed this and I didn't just set it up and let my kids run through it for me? <laughs> So, absolutely. I think, you know, when you're looking at the LMS that you're considering for this, uh, my recommendation is that you do have the e-signature that allows somebody, to, or that does force somebody to say, yes, I learned this. And then the question becomes, where are you going to put that e-signature? You could put it at the end of the overall curriculum. So I have gone through all these modules, regardless of how long it took you, it could have taken you that day or that week or whatever, but when you've completed it, you say, 
yes, I've completed it, and you have to put in your e-signature. So for some of the regulatory purposes that we were discussing earlier, that just makes the administration of this overall learning effort much easier because then, again, you've got it captured in the LMS. You have the impact of the person taking ownership that they've learned it, as well as that ability to have oversight and know that they've completed their training. And what about integration into the ETMF or the TMF overall? I know you've had some experience with this too. Should there be that integration so you can sit there and say, if Helene finishes her training, it's automatic? Is there a, a benefit there with automation? Um, yes, yeah, so there, there definitely would be a benefit in automating it so that once the training is completed, then yeah, they wouldn't, at that point, then they would be able to gain access to the IRG. As far as doing it across the board for all studies, it probably wouldn't be recommended only because there's a lot of studies where um, there's an urgency to get that first patient um, into the system for patient randomized. So in, in particular, if there has been training at the investigator meeting, for example, and most, most clients wouldn't want to prevent that first patient from being randomized or really to kind of lose any patient from being randomized because the training hasn't been completed. So at the end of the, the day, the goal is to make sure the data is being entered directly into the system. So in particular, if you've got a site that has a lot of experience in using IRT systems or even with the particular vendor that you're using, you wouldn't, wouldn't normally want to prevent them from being able to, to do something in the system. So like, that's the benefit of integrating your e-learning system with your IRT. Um, but there could be some drawbacks that you do need to account for and decide whether or not you're okay to live with those risks of potentially losing a patient. If you're Talked about the benefits here, right? What are the pitfalls, though? Because it's not all sunshine and rainbows. There are things that can happen, especially with an e-learning system, any electronic system. Things can sometimes go sideways. Where do those pitfalls start to really affect us? So one of the first things that you really want to make sure that you have in place you need to make sure that you have a, a system that's going to be um, up and running all the time. And then even when it comes to the development of the e-learning, you need to make sure that you're um, using the experts in order to create and deliver the efficient e-learning. It does take uh, a lot of time to develop the original content. So you want to make sure that you have enough time set aside in order to create the information and then also to make sure that you've got someone that's done this before, so somebody that's experienced. Because if not, you could really end up either having too much in a curriculum for someone so that your user is complaining because they spending all of this time taking a e-learning course, especially with topics that don't um, apply to them, or that they um, might not actually be getting all of the information that they need with the e-learning. Regardless, really, I think of what type of e-learning you're providing, you really just want to make sure that it's coming, in particular for IRT, that it's coming from an IRT expert who knows and understands the system and what, what information needs to be relayed to that person that's taking the learning course. And really, I mean, that, uh, that probably applies to any electronic system that you're providing e-learning for, so whether it's EDC or any other that it's experts that you're using in order to make sure that that information is, is going out through them. And so just to build on what Elisa was saying, you know, is the system up? Is the can your folks at each site access the e-learning itself? Are they getting the right information? If you go to the experts, they have folks who know instructional design. They can build an e-learning. They can build an architect curriculum and modules that are going to be easily mixed and mapped to the specific roles that are associated with that, with that clinical trial. To Elise's point, 
you want to make sure that you're accessing the content experts for an IRT. So if you have to de develop these kinds of trainings or these kinds of online learnings yourself, are you going to have the expertise available within this system that you might have purchased or contracted with? Because that is going to be a fairly, fairly intense ramp up time to get somebody expert enough to be able to actually build the training that you would need to support the e-learning. And especially when you think about e-learning, it is a front-end loaded effort for training. So you need to have resources available upfront, resources and time available upfront to build these courses and then to be able to understand how do you map them to the different features and functionalities. And then even further, as the IRT progresses and is updated itself, you have to have the resources to continually keep those e-learnings updated. So as new people roll on, or if there's a critical update to the IRT itself, that the e-learning that supports it can be rolled out as needed. So I never you, actually thought of that, because if you have a major amendment come through, it could change the study design, it could change the methodology, you might change something mid midstream. Mm -hmm. That's a whole new world. That's that a whole new e-learning that you would you would have to develop, and that gives you know this system gives you this e-learning LMS system gives you the capability for rolling out that update and tracking that training update fairly quickly and easily. However, in order to get that e-learning ready in concert with the amendment, you have to have those resources available. And if it's somebody who's already made the old module, being updated, being able to update to the new module is going to be a lot more timely than if you're trying to do it yourself. So you're, you're absolutely accessing the experts as you're going forward with yes. that. Elisa? Yep, and you can even show, yep, I was just going to say that you can even show that that person has now been trained before they use the new functionality in the IRT system. So that's going to be really important to the regulatory authorities to make sure that somebody has completed the training so that they know what to do in the system before they actually start using it for, from the change that happened with the amendment too. Right. So often we, we focus on getting the system up live. It's got to go live. It's got to go live. we got to get the first patient in. But something changing two years into a 10-year trial or changing five years into a 10-year trial, there's a still a regulatory obligation there to maintain that. And if we're looking at tips and, and pitfalls, another thing just to be aware of, so with this e-learning system or this LMS as we were discussing, this ability to globally or decentrally deploy e-learning and track who has learned what, there is administration to this system and you need to be aware of the level of administrative overhead. When you can map that administrative overhead to the administrative overhead that's associated with the needs of roles in the IRT already, you get savings on that kind of work that's needed. Whereas if you're trying to do it yourself, you're going to need to understand who needs what, when, get them into the system, have the right access, build the curriculum. So that is actually a fairly high level of overhead, administrative overhead, that again, you'll need to front end load to your LMS 
in addition to creating your e-learning. So whereas this is a very efficient way of deploying the training, the pitfall usually associated with this is all the front-end work that has to go into it. If you can do that in concert with the actual development of the IRT, then you can realize some savings there. But if you access the experts, then they can have this done and they already have the system in place and the resources in place to be able to get the administrative overload of getting folks into the system, getting curriculums built, as well as getting the e-learnings themselves created, as well as to what we said earlier, if there's changes, keeping e-learnings up to date and then redeploying them as appropriate. So that's the biggest, to me, the biggest difficulty is this front-end loading of work that has to be done to make the system work. So what Colleen was just saying, too, is the timing. So mm -hmm. um, you want to make sure that the system, the e-learning system, is up and ready and live before the first needs to get used. If you're, if you're working with the IRT system or provider to do this, if they're the ones that are creating that content, they have access to that like, as something their system is being built, that they can start to be doing those recordings. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're waiting for somebody else, you have a different provider that's creating your e-learning, normally you'd have to wait until after the IRT build is complete in order to start working on it. So I think Colleen touched on it before, uh, but it's probably really important to focus on that because you, there a lot of times it's that first station in that the IRT provider is pushing towards in order to get the system live, it goes live and then they're ready for the first patient. But if you've got time in there where you need two weeks for someone to be trained on the system, you either need to backdate when that IRT system is up so that then the, the content can created after that, or your IRT provider can be the one that's creating the content for you so that they've got it ready and set to go as soon as the system goes live, that e-learning is able to go live at the same time or a couple of weeks in advance of it so that the individuals can get trained on the IRT system, it goes live, and then boom, your first patient can be uh, enrolled in the study. So timing is definitely something to be very careful of and where things can go a little bit awry if you're not planning for that upfront. They occasionally let the two of you out of the office buildings and out to conferences. Are you seeing e-learnings really becoming then the main methodology in training and design? So e-learnings um, has been, it's interesting to see how much e-learning is becoming a staple in the market. You know, if you look out in the training world right now, instructor-led training will always be a part of the training solution. There is always face-to-face -face time. There's things that just are better that way. But as we look forward, we look at online universities, we look at in per, uh, trainings and LMSs that are available from corporate, there's a much bigger reliance now on e-learning. And depending on the content, for instance, if you're trying to teach an application, e-learning is one of the most effective ways to go. It's much more effective to train somebody to use an application by having them work on their PC in the bite-sized chunks that allows them to see the application and then try it. So we are seeing a much greater adoption of e-learning globally. It seems that older methodology of here's a test, watch a video, take the test, has really died off then. I mean, I can remember when I started my career sitting down and getting a 50-page document to read and then having to answer questions. Yes, and, and we're finding, you know, if you can have an engaging e-learning 
over a document that is, you know, it's one-dimensional. You're reading it, you're answering questions. When you're putting an e-learning together, you can have the learner engage with the content in a way that's appropriate to that content, whether it's, you know, the application or some other some other way of engaging with that content and it makes it it helps it, it helps stickability it helps the person retain it from an IRT perspective who should be involved in determining what types of training the sites and the sponsor level need have you two seen it at a quality level have you seen it at a operational level and Elisa maybe you have had a little more experience with this yeah so typically we do see it at the operational level so it would be more like the study study lead or if there's an IRT expert um, at a client, that's typically who we would be having to decide what content is associated to which of the different users. We do always recommend that they do it in tandem with their quality group just to make sure that they're following and adhering to any SOPs that they have uh, with regards to it. And I would assume though that the folks that you have there, those trial leads, they're the ones who are going to be most impacted if there is something like poor data quality or errors, or any sort of uh, investigational drug shortage or waste on drug because folks aren't using the IRT correctly. Correct. Yeah, they're also the ones that are most aware of what's going on throughout the whole trial as well. So, like, they know what type of investigator meetings they have coming up or what their expectations are for their monitors. So, even though the monitor might not be doing anything in the IRT system, they would be the best place to know, well, the monitor, really, they don't have access to this in the IRT, but they're the ones that are going to have to, you know, support the site. So they really need to know what the site is doing in the system so that they can help them if there are any questions that come up. So I think because they've got that broader view of the clinical trial, which is why they're primarily an important person to be making those decisions. And then if there's an IRT expert, they also typically would be aware of any other extras that, you know, go on within a client. So there might be a need for this department to have a view into the one of the other things I wanted to ask you too about is if you could give our listeners one takeaway, one major just takeaway to take back and think about after they finish listening to this, what would that be? One thing, that's tough. Uh, I would say that an e-learning provides a way, it's a, a cost-effective way and it's efficient to pass a lot of time to clinical trials. Um, things have started out as a paper-based form, so when it comes to like patient-reported outcomes, um, and then there was a big push by the regulatory authorities for that to move to electronics. I think in that same fashion, the e-learning provides that same way. So um, in the past, where the paper or investigator meeting is how that training has happened in order to have that better data um, integrity and make sure that the information is consistent, um, I think there, there probably will be more and more of a push to move towards the electronic way of capturing e-learning just because it is cost-effective and efficient for not only on the sponsor side, on the user side as well, the individuals that are using the IRP. And Helene, how about you? So I think for my for my one tip to take away, when you're looking at your e-learning solution in support of your IRT, is really to think through the exact roles, kind of, you know, to Elisa's point, making sure that you understand who needs what and that you give enough time even to think through that and get the e-learning system itself set up 
and test with folks. Make sure that you have a couple of folks on your team that can actually run through some of the modules, that it's all going to work, that they're getting what they need. It Those makes sense be, to what they're doing. Yeah, it makes sense to what they're doing. So get it out to a couple of people. And that will also help with buy-in. You know, if folks are used to going to the in-person training and you have somebody on board that's gone through it, gone through that training, they can help have people feel more comfortable that that training is going to meet their needs. And I would, as I would assume that as you start doing more of these e-learnings, use that as a metric to see, are we still making errors? Are we still having issues? Is the e-learning effective? You have a built-in effectiveness check there mm -hmm. with this type of training when it's like this because you can go, have we seen a reduction in errors since we moved to this? Have we seen a reduction in the number of support requests? Are we seeing any payback? Earning our money back on this? Are we... Are you, you are you not are you saving money from are you saving money from not off offlining your folks to attend the in person training? If you right. can measure previous trials that you've done, what was your number of TQs or QIs or or whatever it was, and have they reduced? How much to your point? What kind of help desk calls are you getting? Are they actually getting it in? And do you have better data integrity? What is your data integrity measurements that you have in place? And did you have it with the trial before you tried this and have it with the trial after you've tried e-learning? Right. And I'll be honest with you, trying to get 40 people into a training for two hours, <laughs> it's kind of like herding cats. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, you're just hoping that you can get the majority. And you usually end up having to run two sessions because schedules align. Apparently, we're supposed to let people take time off these days. <laughs> All sorts of things. So it, it, it is difficult to get a larger number. Anytime you get up over really six, seven people, it's more and more difficult with calendars and increasing demands and shifting timelines and everything else to have people set aside that time where if they can set aside little chunks throughout based the day on, based on their schedule. And even so, you know, to your point, if, you have, if you're trying to organize a training for, for more than 25 people, once you have that many people in the room, then the effectiveness goes down. How much? How many questions are they going to ask? Are they going to get the TV effect right in the room where they're just sitting and letting letting the presentation go, as opposed to having it in bite-sized chunks that they can consume? Right. And if you do move it to the smaller grouping, now you're spending more money on Hugely. having to <laughs> yeah. have a facilitator there burning that time. You're, the facilitator burning the time, you still have all of the offline time for each of the, even if you do 20 people, if you do six people, you're still offlining them for that entire time, as opposed to being able to step back and saying, oh, I'm going to fit this one to two hour of training into my day over the next week. So now your hit on productivity is much, much reduced. And with the questions, you have the ability to measure success. You absolutely do, yes. And that's what's always important. To your point, as far as being able to have fewer you know, service desk calls or, or those pieces, I would just caution against the, like, hanging your hat on that, only because we've started to see the complexity of the IRT system go up. So in tandem with that, you might see that there's still the same quantity of service desk tickets. However, it might not be an indication, though, that the e-learning it's not doing anything, it's just that the systems have become more complex, so there might be other types of questions. So just to um, be a little bit careful as far as what kind of metrics it is that you're you know, hanging your hat on to see whether or not the e-learning system is effective or not. But I do love that comment about complexity because as the IRT systems become more complex and more difficult to use, 
the need to have referenceable learning materials available at a just-in-time type of access it becomes even more important because it's more complex. If you went through this a week ago or two weeks ago, whether it was in person or online, well, now you're actually going to need to use it. And to be able to reference exactly what you need to do, which is what you can do with the e-learning, you've taken it and now you can re-reference it, right at the point of need becomes even more important as these systems get more complex. Look, we all work with the one person who goes, I don't need the training. I have a quick reference document. I don't need training. I have these notes that I took from whenever. How do you respond to someone like that? Well, you know what? Just put out a quick reference document or let us, let us go here. Is there a response to that one? To just reading a quick reference yeah. document? A really easy response from my point of view is compliance. You read the, how do I know that you read the quick reference? How long is the quick reference? How effective was it? What was your takeaways? Is there any mechanism to measure knowledge achieved? So the quick reference document is great as a quick reference, but as a training tool, as the form of training, I think it lacks too many required aspects of a good training to say, yep, I'm going to, I am going to risk my clinical trial on everybody reading this quick reference. I think that's a big risk to take when you can actually deploy e-learning that's interactive, referenceable, and specific to their role and to the um, IRT, and you know that they have gone through it, and so there's a much reduced risk of error and data integrity issues. Yeah, and to that point, too, the, the way the e-learning systems are set up, like we talked about before, if somebody's completed the training once, they don't have to go through it again. So I think it actually works to that person that just wants to go through the, you know, the quick reference guide or whatever. Um, it works to their benefit because once they've gone through it, then they don't have to go through it again as long as they're within that time period. So it, it does fit with that individual, um, but it also still then applies to the, you know, hits the regulations well, ladies, thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Regardless of size, regardless of the trial, there is a precedent out there to ensure staff is adequately trained on systems. And in a survey ALMAC conducted, 100% believed it was either essential or something they should have. The question becomes, how do you facilitate that training? Who should be conducting the training? And in line with the MHRA questions, are they qualified to do that training? The increase in the use of IRT and regulatory scrutiny around this makes it something that must be supported at an organizational level. The points around e-learning make sense. You do the work up front so it can be pushed out as needed. We may all be used to the old methodologies of in-person or reading a wall of text. However, it's time for us as an industry to adapt and evolve. There's money to be saved and timelines to be shortened, and most importantly, patients to be cared for. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to Almac Clinical University for a little training on how this can be implemented. Until next time, I'm Matt Lowry, and this is The Spotlight on IRT Podcast. You've been listening to The Spotlight on IRT Podcast. Brought to you by Almac Clinical Technologies.
If you have a question for our host or would like to suggest a topic for our next podcast, please visit our podcast page on Almac Clinical University at university.almacgroup.com.